The Cinema Limbo podcast is part of Podnose, the UK's leading independent entertainment podcasting network. For episode archives of Cinema Limbo and all of the shows on the network, visit us at www.podnose.com. You can also follow us on Twitter via at Podnose or send us an email via admin at podnose.com. Hello. Have you ever had a dream you were certain was real? What if the dream made more sense than the waking world? And what if you could not wake from that dream? My name is Jeremy Phillips, writer, critic, and great black bat, and you are entering Cinema Limbo, the way station for underappreciated films. Tonight's symposium examines Joseph Losey's 1970 suspense drama Figures in a Landscape, based on the novel by Barry England, adapted by and starring Robert Shaw with Malcolm McDowell. My guest is, once again, Ed Bloomer, and you join us in a border hut on top of a Pyrenee. Hi, Ed. Hello. Now, the uh, political world is currently undergoing a great deal of upheaval. Um, We're recording this literally an hour and a half after the presidential election was called for Joe Biden. So, in light of all this this turbulence and this change. What can you tell me about Joseph Losey? <laughs> what, what an intro. Uh, go on, go on. I know you've got something that you want to tell me. Well, Losey... I can tell you nothing. You tell me something. Okay, I will. Um, Losey was a uh, filmmaker working in Hollywood in the uh, 40s and early 50s. Um, and he fell foul of the... Uh, um, House Un-American Activities uh, Commission that was investigating oh, right. allegations of uh, communist subversion in Hollywood because he sure. had um, a degree of left-wing socialist connections. He'd, I think he'd briefly been a member of the Communist Party, but it wasn't, it wasn't anything, you know, radical. It wasn't like, you know, picking up guns and threatening to invade air bases or anything crazy like that. But his work as a filmmaker had been relatively low-key, nothing particularly exceptional. But in light of everything that was happening, um, Howard Hughes, who owned the studio um, where he was contracted, uh, ceased assigning him any work, but kept him on contract. And his response was to simply uh, abandon his current film um, and leave for Europe. they tried serving him with a subpoena to get him back to the United States, but that didn't work, and he spent the rest of his career working in Europe. Um, but rather than crashing and burning, his career flourished um, in the UK and France. He was initially uh, uh, set to be a house director at Hammer, um, and was down to direct uh, one film, X the Unknown, and wound up doing a film called uh, The Damned shortly afterwards struck up a partnership with Harold Pinter and they made three films together um, he made uh, Modesty Blaze based on the comic book movie based on the, the movie mm-hmm. based on the comic book um, he was nominated for the Palme d'Or for that, he was three times nominated for the Golden Lion at Venice, he won the Palme d'Or for his third film with um, uh, Pinter, The Go-Between 
nominated, no, nominated for fourth Golden Lion and later won the Césars for French be, uh, Best Film and Best Director uh, for Monsieur Klein. So it seemed to liberate him being forced into exile from his own land. Yeah, but did he ever make a Star Wars or a, an Avengers? No. No, instead he made films that have lost value. Cool. Okay. I, I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't. Um, I mean, I'm not such a, a student of film as you are, and and that you know this was, um, you know, absolutely fresh to me. hadn't heard of it, um, and uh, I, I mean, I, I knew the principles, I suppose, in the film, but um, yeah, I, I really didn't know. Uh, I came into it uh, pretty, pretty much fresh. Yes, figures in a landscape is um, one of his much more obscure films. I mean, you and I actually watched this on YouTube because it's just on there for free. Someone, someone yeah. someone's just yeah. put uh, an HD copy of the movie on there as a single video, and you can just watch it, which seems crazy that you know, the copyright police aren't after it. Yeah. Uh... Maybe they, it's, it's too obscure. Maybe they just don't care. Maybe not. Should I don't know. Should we be advertising the fact that we're watching these things in in such a way? But I wouldn't know where else to get it at the moment. I mean, well, it's not available on home video in the UK. Um, I think that it's due for a Blu-ray release in the US if it's not out already. But it's right. very much a, a you know a bare bones archive release with you know just some company slinging out stuff that they happen to own the rights to. Sure. Uh, I mean, even if you look on something like IMDb, I mean, it's just a description of the the, the film, the, sort of the, the plot, I suppose, in its better sense, which is quite surprising. You know, you, you get obscure films and you get certainly um, much less interesting films, which have, you know, trivia bits and, you know, did you know and blah 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 and this film is just it's essentially just a listing of the fact that the film exists mm. which means that I don't have anything interesting uh, to <laughs> I don't have any interesting trivia well um, I have a little it's uh, adapted from the book by Barry England and it was mm. his only novel for a very long time but um, it was actually nominated for the first Booker Prize right. uh, a couple of years earlier and the, the rights were picked up by producer John Cohen. And Robert Shaw became involved, both as lead actor and a scriptwriter, because he was an acclaimed uh, writer in his own, uh, on his own back. Yeah. And um, the adaptation of the book is relatively loose. It takes the, the basic story and some of the substantial incidents and the character names, but a lot of it, it goes off in its own direction, particularly the ending, is completely different. And the, the I, had, script was, I had read that. Um, the script was rewritten many book, times but... by Shaw while they were still filming. Right, okay. I, I, I had read that the, the filming, uh, sorry, that the ending is different. Um, but I don't, I, I haven't read the book. Um, so I was just judging it sort of just, just, on the, just on the film as I watched it. Well, I managed to get hold of the book because it was it was being reprinted just as I decided that it was worth covering in the podcast. So I looked right. so I looked it up and said, "Oh, it's there's a new copy coming out tomorrow." 
which seem to be Providence. It's, so, I mean, it would be spoilers to spoil the ending, but I don't know. Maybe, no, maybe we'll get to that. We'll get to the ending, and um, yeah. What, usually, if you know the ending of the film, you know the ending of the book, and I think you'll find out enough of it to justify knowing everything else. Um, the film starts with two men running along a beach at dawn. Very, very simply, and it, you're almost not given any more information than that for the rest of the movie. One is one is middle-aged, one is younger. We soon mm-hmm. find out that their names are McConaughey and Ansel, respectively. They are fleeing from captivity in a foreign country, and they are trying to reach the border of, of another country where they will be safe. Yeah. It's a. I mean, it's a really... I mean, if I can jump straight into it, I I think it's a film that starts really well and sort of goes downhill, you know, in terms of keeping my interest. But I thought, it, you know, it certainly is a really good... I mean, it's like, it feels very much like a play. You're going to have yeah. this sort of two-hander. It's all going to be quite stripped back. I mean, I mean even though it's not because you've got this these amazing landscapes and you do have interactions with other uh, uh, people to some extent or, well, again, we'll get into that. But it it, it seemed, and I, it's not a criticism, it seemed very play-like. We're going to have this back and forth between characters that will discuss things while doing something else and sort of not talk about things sometimes and sometimes sort of talk around things. and And you don't know the country that they're running in or fleeing too. Um, it's filmed in Spain, but um, I, you know, I liked it. I, I liked that setup a, a lot. I thought it was really good at just pulling you into something because you don't need to know anything really. No, it's it's the adventure story stripped back to its bare minimum. You yeah. have you have these two main characters, but there's a there's friction between them, but they they're both pursuing the same goal as they're pursued by some faceless um, monolith of, of threat. And it's ambiguous because you don't know whether you're supposed to be rooting for them or not, or even whether you should be rooting for perhaps one character and not the other, um, because you just know that they're on the run and they do some pretty bad things. But you don't know whether... Are they prisoners? Are they mercenaries? Are they, um, I don't know, political prisoners of some sort are they uh but i like it i mean i mean that's all obvious within you know the five minutes of of seeing it that you know it's going it's going to be a bit like this but i I thought it was a really um good way of doing things i was trying to think if you did it now you know would would a filmmaker have the uh the kind of guts i suppose to keep it so ambiguous and so um I mean, it's not low key because you've got those um, those amazing landscapes, and uh, so it's, yeah, low key is not the right word, but um, I suppose sparse, maybe Spartan. Spartan, yeah, yeah. I think I think you could, I I could imagine the film being made now and it being pretty much the same. Um, uh, changes in technology notwithstanding, you could do ha- you you could have this kind of story with two major name actors and you could do it the same way and I don't think it would date I think that's kind of the concept behind it is that it's a universal idea it's a universal 
concept. Yes, I think though that maybe into. I mean, maybe I'm being cynical, but my my worry would be that um, you'd uh, you'd be hard pushed to find a director willing to do it and a, and a production studio willing to finance it to produce something so um, restrained, I think. I think the temptation to make the landscape CGI and and sort of artificially dramatic and, and things like that would be almost overwhelming for most uh, productions. You know, because the, because the, the landscape scenery is, is kind of amazing. Um, and I'm not saying it's human scaled because it's it's you know it's the landscape. It's not, but the way they film it and the way they use the real landscape, I think, is is pretty restrained. Yeah, I see your point of how they might be tempted to um, alter the landscape digitally to make it more of a character to to emphasize yeah. to emphasize the situation rather than use the resources they have at hand. Yeah, because I mean, I mean, last time we 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 were speaking on your podcast, we were talking about sorcerer, and the bit in sorcerer where they are trying to cross the river on the wooden bridge is, uh, you know, in the driving rain. Uh, it you, well, you don't need much more context than that, but it's it's a sort of it's a it's a nightmare. Uh, it's I mean, it really is. It's it's this it's almost sort of surreal or hallucinatory kind of nightmare whereas this one is not this is not uh, figures in the landscape is not quite like that the the landscape is nightmarish because there's just so much of it you know there's bit there's bits where they get soaking wet but it's not so um, so massively dramatic that you think well this you know you, you couldn't sustain this it's just sort of relentlessly a bit terrible it's an interesting way of doing two different things where the, the elements are really against you. Sorcerer is a realistic story because everything is... All, all the stages where the characters get to where they are, it's all believable. You can all imagine that it could realistically happen so that they reach sure. those points. But it's reality portrayed as a nightmare. Yeah. Whereas Figures in the Landscape is a nightmare played very real. There's nothing bizarre or fantastical about it. Every, everything yeah, everything you is don't... filmed as real, but the concept of it is is pure nightmare. Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. I mean, you don't, you don't really need much more than well, you have to try and get up into the mountains, and if you've got the clothes on your back, your hands tied behind your back, and nothing more than your wits to begin with, that's that's bad enough. You're already um, starting several steps behind where you want to be. Um, are, you don't, you don't, you don't need like a tropical storm, uh, or you know, blah blah blah. But but that means that when when the the forces that are arrayed against them come into it, um, mainly the helicopter, mm. that means you can f sort of focus on that. Uh, that's the kind of that's the real nightmare part of it, I suppose. Absolutely. Um, the dynamic between the two men is established very early on that McConaughey is more he's older and more experienced and quite uh, cynical and also and initially quite bullying towards Ansel who is um, yeah uh, much more 
I mean, in the book, Ansel is written as being very passive, uh, arguably even younger than um, he's played in the film, played by uh, Malcolm McDowell. I don't think we've mentioned that yet. Um, yeah. But there's there's more tension between them. Um, he, he he starts to talk back a bit more, rather than just being a a, a passive pupil almost. Yes, yes, it's it. He, he is bullying, and um, it's. Uh, I I mean I haven't looked it up, so I'm not I'm not entirely sure what the the actual age difference is, um, uh, at the time of filming. But um, yeah, yeah, it's it's like you say they establish it quite early on, and again, it it makes it seem to me. And again, I'm not really using the correct terms, but uh, but that seems quite theatre like, as opposed to theatrical. But you know. It, it seems more like a play, that idea of, you know, these are the two characters you're going to be spending the time with, so here are some clear differences right at the start. And, I mean, this is all good stuff because it it gives you the hooks that you need and then you're on the journey with them. You don't need, you don't need and you don't get some elaborate backstory or anything like that. Even the stuff that they do reveal is, uh, I mean... Whether it's true or not is maybe one thing to to think about as well. But also, it's just um, it's sort of incidental. It's 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 just about how they play off each other, rather than any facts as such. Uh, I just checked. Robert Shaw was forty three, and okay. Malcolm McDowell was twenty seven. Okay. So I mean, it's not um, again. It's not. It's not. Uh, it's not quite father son. No, not but, but it's quite. But. It's it's a kind of mentor apprentice relationship, perhaps. It's it's definitely that way in the book. Um, in in the film, as I say, it's they it starts out similar to that, but they move closer. I think over the course of the story, McConaughey mellows a little towards Ansel, and Ansel himself becomes a bit hardier. Yes, that's right, and and they sort of scheme against each other at various points. And in fact, um, they're going to separate at one point, and Ansel Ansel um, takes the tin opener. Well, yeah, and uh, yes, he he sort of wrangles a way for them to stay together, and so the the dynamics start to change. Look, because even though he's not necessarily in a position of strength, even at that point, certainly not physically, or in terms of his capabilities for navigating and all that sort of stuff. It, yes, a bit things begin to shift. Which of course you you sort of need, right? Because if 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 nothing had changed, it would be very sort of one note. Mm. And in a film like this, that's quite that that would be sort of the death knell of it, I think, because you don't have other characters to play off, and you don't have uh, there's there's no intricate plot as such. The film does make use of very long takes, several times, and there's a take early in the in the film where they're in a dry riverbed talking which runs for nearly three mm-hmm. minutes and and continues after they climb out of the riverbed still with their hands tied behind their backs and run off into the distance over the horizon yeah it's it's not the kind of editing that you really get at the moment i say at the moment because maybe, maybe it will come back into fashion but um yeah the, there's <laughs> yeah it's they have to sort of maintain having their hands tied behind their back and then go off on a proper run. There was a bit where they sort of run uh, quite far into the background and then stop for a bit and then run a little bit more uh, sort of uh, down and out of sight. And I wonder if 
I wonder if they'd just been instructed like you've got to keep like you've got to keep going because we'll just keep shooting until you're no longer there and that's the cut point. But it's just it's just a moment. I mean, it's not it's not ridiculous. It doesn't last for long. But I just thought, oh, they've stopped. No, no, they're going to keep going for a little bit because they're they're not out of sight yet. It reminds me of um, in I'm Alan Partridge, where Alan's sprinting away from his stalker's house and eventually stops just long enough for the cameraman to catch up with him and then starts running <laughs> and then starts running again. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it, it's. Uh... I, I mean, I really, I, I did really enjoy the, the kind of landscape stuff, even though it's it's sort of so uncomfortable because you don't know where they are, you don't know where they're going, um, but it really brings it home to you how, even even though the landscape itself is not barren, it's not, and it's not it's not presented as some, you know, it's not a desert. They're not in a desert, uh, you know, where there's absolutely no human civilization. There's just, for the first long part of it, there's just no refuge, in any sort of meaningful sense. There's a few places they can hide. And that they're not going to die of thirst immediately, but they're just in this enormous, unfriendly uh, sort of environment. But again, they, it doesn't tip into it's not some sort of nightmare world. Um, no, I mean it's it, it's it's totally believable. If I was told that oh yes, it's set in Spain, I thought yeah, that mm-hmm. seemed because it was filmed entirely in Spain, so fair enough. But it also feels totally believable as yeah, that's what late Franco era Spain would be like close to the Pyrenees perhaps yeah and and there's little I mean there's little to date it apart from I suppose the helicopter um which is a sort of singularly well it's an interesting thing I think worth discussing the helicopter and then there's a bit you know where you see a train but when they're in the village for instance that village could have been from 200 years ago because it's so impoverished and kind of the, the houses are sort of, sort of basic and, you know, any time between inventing the tin can and uh, now, it, it would have worked, you know, even the, you know even though they do pick up weapons and things, they're sort of rifles and a, a sort of a machine gun, but it's not, um, you know, they're, they're, they're tools and they're not... Um, you know, it's not. They don't. It's not. It's not they don't really kind of fetishize the gear or anything like that. They're tools. The they're, in... they're tools for survival. They're yeah. Not, they're not. They're yeah. not weapons as such. It's just I need this to stay alive, and the way I stay alive yeah. is having we- to kill the other person. Yeah. Which, which, to be honest, again, skipping ahead slightly, is, is why I I thought it began to fall apart when they started to encounter and shoot at the soldiers. I think it was it was fine to have the weapons, and I think it was fine, to, and as you say, the, the kind of tools, but it, it lost a little of its quality for me when they weren't just on the run and they were sort of fighting there was a back. Bit of sort of shoot, yeah, yeah, um, including that classic thing of um, you know shooting a soldier off the roof of a house. Yes. That sort of thing, and again, it was just—it it doesn't make it a bad film by any stretch, but it's just there were just little points where I thought this could be really, really good if there were just a few of these points were sort of excised from the film. Um, well, having uh, first found water, they come across come across their fir- the, you know the first new character in the film, a goat herd. Mm. Um, Ansel refuses to attack him, so McConaughey goes up, and we don't see what he does. It, I mean, the the inference is that he, you know, kicks him to the ground and then kicks him to death. 
but it turns yeah, out that I mean, Goat Hood doesn't have a knife after all. So they've had to do something really Yeah, terrible. I did spend they, the next it's maybe five minutes of the, the film really wondering. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it is terrible. And um, uh, McConaughey's um, uh, character, you sort of think, well, okay, he's, so he's a, he's a sociopath. He, I mean, he's crazy because he's able and willing to kill. And, you know, what he's railing against is, you know, well, that wasn't fair that I had to do it on my own type of thing. But he's, he's not actually quite as easy to classify as that. However, I did spend five minutes afterwards thinking, but how did he physically do that with his hands behind his back? It's impressive in its own way, I suppose. But yeah, it's 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 kind of grim. And again, there's that thing whereby you don't know whether you don't know whether you're supposed to sympathise with them. I mean, they can be the protagonists, but not particularly sympathetic. And then I th- I thought, okay, okay. So what it's what it's showing is they're they're on the run together, but you know he's going to be the, the sort of the true enemy, and Ansel will be will have to defeat him at some point. But but it doesn't happen like that either. In fact, it's more complicated than that. Mm. And again, I mean, I'm praising it for that because it, it because it's it's more interesting. It it it's it starts by making life difficult for itself just with the the concept, and as a, apart from the the more obviously filmic bits later, like trying to trying to take out the the helicopter at its base, it it sticks to its own ethos. It doesn't. It doesn't go for cliche at all. I, it, apart from a little bit, I think, which I think is possibly imposed by producers just to make it a bit more, uh, you know, just so, just so they can have bits in the trailer. Possibly, yeah, possibly. As they carry on walking, um, it suggested that they pretend to be uh, uh, agricultural workers when they're strafed by the helicopter for the first time. And we see from the helicopter's point of view McConaughey raging and yelling up at the pilot, but um, his dialogue is all drowned out. Yeah, yes, I mean actually, that, that, I mean that that bit where they are sort of being uh, well strafed, but then also sort of buzz, you know continually buzzed at a very close level by the helicopter. I, you know, my heart was in my mouth for that sort of thing because it's. It's. I mean, it's really even dangerous. with movie, even with movie trickery, it's so dangerous and it's so frightening. And but and and it's great for evoking not just the fear for the idea that you know the whole situation. But if you were in that situation, what do you what do you do? What could you do? I mean, the helicopter's not going to crash into them, not deliberately, at least. But at the same time, it's a whirling metal blade, and. You know the winds being whipped. Up. I I thought it was really good because it's again it's not, you know they don't start shooting at them and they don't start uh, you know that nobody's finding missiles or anything like that in it and there's not a, you know there's not a fleet of helicopters they're trying to evade and there's no, uh, you know there's no helicopter point of view where there's some heads up display with you know all that that kind of science fiction. Well, it's not science fiction necessarily, but you know there's not all that sort of stuff. It's a it's a a fairly basic helicopter, uh, with a pilot and a spotter the, in it. Yeah, and and it's it, 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 in that sense, it's quite human scaled. But they they really do make it seem like a kind of 
horrific sort of insect thing that um you know it's it's so un, it's so unfair like i can i can understand the ranting the raving at it because it's because it can just go above them and it doesn't matter how they how they run around on a sort of human scale this thing just this thing could just get over them and see where they're going or see where they're going to be and um you know it can't it can't come down and interact directly but i thought i thought it's a it's a great just a helicopter on its own in a landscape is a great foe i think Knowing Losi's work with um, Pinter, uh, how would you feel about the suggestion that the helicopter is intended as a metaphor for God? Um, I mean, I, I can see it, but I but I I'll be honest. I mean, I'm showing my own biases here. That that sort of stuff bores me completely. Um, uh, similarly when uh, McDowell sort of um, goes on a bit of a ramp when they're in their cave coming out of the rain that kind of you know going mad ranting and raving type of thing is so hard to do um, well I think Uh, I I just I yeah I mean fair enough but I, I just I'm not keen on those things because I think they just well, just for me, just for me, it doesn't really work. I don't think I'm not saying it doesn't thematically work, but but um, it it doesn't that doesn't sort of hold much emotional truth for me. I guess I'm not I'm not articulating myself very well, but uh, that that kind of um, semi-religious metaphor imagery. It's just not something that captures your imagination. I think I'm just no. I th- yeah. I, th- I think I'm just a bit bored of it. I think. Well, I think it's just. Well, yeah. Have, I just, well, have fun <laughs> in hell. <laughs> well, yes, of course. Well, that's the thing. I mean, it's it's it's. Um, I, I think maybe that's just as I get older, and I, I I've just sort of I've seen things, you know more and more mm. so you, you i think you get i i find myself getting more sensitive to things that aren't necessarily cliches or tropes too much really but just with enough exposure they they sort of irritate a little bit because you're like okay i see this coming around again i mean that's mm. not that's no fault of any individual piece of work of course um it's just that you're you're sensitive to things that you you're familiar with and when you when you when you watch a new film, you want to see something you haven't seen before. You want to see yeah, something, I think so. something fresh and original. I, yeah, I understand absolutely. It's it's why you get the you know you can also get nostalgia for stuff that if you then look back, you go, oh well, that that wasn't actually objectively very good, but it was my first exposure to that that this that or the other, and therefore I have an affection for it that that goes beyond its. Uh, well, again, there's, you can't really say you, uh, there's objective quality in these things, but your, your, you see what your, I mean. Your the, personal, there's lots your of... personal emotional connection to something is yeah, out, yeah. outweighs uh, any kind of empirical measurement of its value. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, and it's so with me and a view to a kill. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. There's you know, and there's I mean there's loads of really terrible sci-fi films that I I will watch and sort of enjoy much more than I probably should have because they showed a you know they just showed a different 
that's not a word, different uh, sort of sort of thing. And just for a moment, uh, you, you know, even if it's a thirty second, even if it's a thirty second CGI kind of shot that's just interesting, I, I do get some value out of that. Mm. Uh, certainly, even if so. For example, um, have you seen Babylon AD? I ha- have I ranted about Babylon AD before? <laughs> Maybe I, I have. I, I think you've brought it up before. Yeah. Yes, I saw. It I mean, it is it is gar- garbage. I mean, oh, it's it's garbage. Absolutely. But but happy to watch it again. <laughs> happy to watch it again. Why? Because it, because it's because it's just slightly different from uh, the usual kind of slick. Uh, <laughs> slick slash good uh, sci-fi you know it's just there's just something slightly different about it um, and I think even things like you know again I know we're getting far off course perhaps but you know I I think it's why uh, you know things like Black Panther and things like that uh, or it's one of the reasons why um, I enjoyed it I think more than than I possibly should have because having seen it again I wasn't that that impressed but with it but it it was something it was something different yeah and that that sort of freshness it was it was a, even if it just lasts for a moment is you know add something to it it's a, it was a completely new perspective that certainly yeah. for, for you and I at least is definitely sure. something that we haven't seen before sure but then but then getting back to the film we're we're, so, <laughs> we're discussing here then uh, what I quite like about older films now, uh, in some ways, is if I don't really know the people, and I, you know, I know a little bit about the, the the actors, but not not very much at all, really. And I haven't seen mo- most of the work, that sort of thing, and I don't know where it's going. That in itself can sometimes be enough to be showing to me something new. So, so this, so this film, I, I enjoyed in part because. I didn't know where it was going to end up, and I didn't know necessarily who to, uh, you know, who was going to make it or who wasn't going to make it, or, or, or really even who was more important, because you know, Malcolm McDowell is still around and about and has done lots of things, and Robert Shaw isn't, although he had had just done lots of things, um, so I didn't know from that two hander like who. You know who's the who's who's the lead here really? Mm. It doesn't even matter who gets credited first. You know, who, who, suppose who's going to be the lead in the, the experience that I have of it? Yeah. And again, if you remade it today, don't have to change the plot. You don't really have to uh, do much at all, really. Uh, but I was, th- you know, it did make me think as I was watching it. Well, who who would you get to do it nowadays? And could they? Um, it's not. I mean, it's, they're not glamorous performances, either, really. But they're also not. You know, they're not sort of mired in misery. Again, it's that restraint. It's like who, who could you get to do um, a sort of quite restrained. I don't want to say workmanlike, but but constant sort of um, non-showy performance. Nicholas Holt. I'm not. Nah. Oh, nah. Okay. Well, <laughs> well, maybe, maybe. Um, as Ansel, I'm presuming. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying there are not lots of actors that are, you know, technically capable of it. I just wonder 
who would take on that sort of project. You could presumably do a remake of it that would be pretty cheap nowadays, right? Oh, yeah, be... you, could, you could film it all digitally with a, with a very small mobile crew, um, round up a lot mm. of um, extras. You need a helicopter. You need I a think helicopter. You, I, I, it would be, I think, comparative. You need a helicopter. Yeah. Although it did make me think, you know, um, you could... Uh, well, I mean, you couldn't hit all the plot beats directly. But you could do something similar with, say, a drone. Oh, yeah. Because, become, because there would be no human element to it. And I think also it would be a better film if you stripped right back on the soldiers patrolling. I think you could do... I mean, you couldn't get rid of it completely. But, uh, but I think um, stripping back on the interactions with soldiers uh, to a great extent. And a drone would just be a, a, just a thing. Mm that was pestering them and you wouldn't know who was controlling it you wouldn't know how far it had come really you wouldn't have any kind of idea of that it would just be a sort of robotic sort of man versus machine type of idea or just depersonalized you you know that yeah yeah you would know that there's a human being at the other end of the controls Mm. but it's it's just totally separated from any human presence at all so it's it takes the the stripped back spartan nature of the of the the actual film and strips it yeah. back even further. No, we're not going to have any other people in it at all because we can just do it. We yeah. can just do it all the robots now. Yes, and but again, I think I think you would you would want to show restraint so it wouldn't be like some sci-fi, uh, you know, drone that could do amazing things that drones can't really do. Just do it with just like a regular an actual one. drone. Yeah. Yeah, one you can buy in. Um, so it's a so it's a threat to them because it can see them at all times. I mean, that's that's the thing. I mean, perhaps you couldn't really do it at all nowadays because they would have infrared, and so waiting at night wouldn't help. And uh, but maybe there's other ways you could kind of mm. deal with those plot points. But I think, yeah, yeah, the important thing would be to not turn it into some crazy sci-fi drone thing. Just, just show how scary, um, you know, actual capabilities are. Let's do this. Let's. Uh, do you have any money to start a film? Can we? How, how cheaply can we make this? Uh, uh, which one do you want to play? I don't think the age difference between us is good. We're going to have to think of a different dynamic. Um, I'll uh, either one. Either one or two. I'm not fussed. I'd be equally terrible <laughs> at both. So, McConaughey and Ansel approach a, a small town or a village, really. Um, and they have different plans while they're there. Ansel wants to get hold of a knife so that they can finally cut their hands free. But McConaughey has a more long-term plan of wanting to kill the, hel- the helicopter pilot. And there's another long sequence as they sneak through the streets of the town and sneak past a, uh, a tavern full of rowdy people. And um, they manage to get a drink from a water fountain and finally find a house where they can get in. Mm. where they find a corpse laid out of someone who has recently died of natural causes in some way and who is being watched over by a catatonic old woman. Yeah. I, th- I thought that was great. I mean, I thought that that whole bit... Again, if you'd just been shown that bit and someone said, what what year is it in this scene? You think, I don't know. 19... 19- 10 to 1980 who can tell yeah or older perhaps we're not sure um and i thought that was great and it also had this sort of um 
uh, I mean, there was the dread of discovery, and, and, and so there was kind of tension in that. Um, but also, it had somewhat of the feel of, like, and I'm going to get this completely wrong, perhaps, which one, or I can't tell you which one, you, you know, something like a Greek myth or something like that. It's kind of like, again, sort of seeing the the, the tavern full of life, but they can't interact, um, and they have to sort of sneak around it, and going into the home where they can get supplies, but they can't, uh, in this case, touch uh, any of the sort of the funeral offerings. Um, it's, it's you know, it's like that sort of thing of like, oh, you can go into the underworld, but as long as you don't drink of the water mm. um, or, or something like that. I, I thought that was really great because you just, it's just tense for ages and and they sort of, and they mess it up and then, you know, there's there's um, sort of the comeuppance of that or there's the, the consequences. But I thought that was a really great bit. It wasn't, it wasn't that kind of artificial tension of, well, you've only got you have to sneak around here and defuse a bomb or anything like that. It's it's just you're on the run, so if you get discovered, it's over. So you've got to go and do something fairly simple. Get get a sharp object that you can cut cut your bonds. You know, it's it, I thought it was really good. Again, restraint is 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 the word I keep mm. using, but I but I but I think it's I think it's what sort of elevates it away from something that could be really super daft. Actually, if you if you if you did it badly or you went to to one way or the other, you you could make something that was really pretty daft. I think it's the influence of um, of Pinter again. It's that 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 very lean, stripped back nature. Um, there's his play, The Dumb Waiter, which is about two men waiting in a room for instructions for them yeah. to uh, kill someone. Yes, I've, I've I haven't seen it. Um, but I've, uh, I've, I've heard of it. And, and the, uh, the instructions of various other items come, come arrive in the room through, the, through this dumb waiter, which is almost like analogous to the helicopter. Mm. And it's, I think it's implied at the end of the play that one of them is, a, is actually supposed to kill the other. That's the whole reason why they're there. Yeah, so wasn't that... Was it Danny Dyer that was in that? Yes, I think he was. And I think maybe maybe they, when they did a sort of Pinter revival a, a couple of years back, I think he might have taken up taken up the role again. Pinter Pinter liked Danny Dyer for yes for uh, whatever reason. He, he spoke very highly of his work in Pimp. Okay, <laughs> I'm not having a good Danny Dyer actually. I'm just that's the thing that that popped out. That that's really all I know about Dumbwaiter. I know. I think that it. Or that, that I think I was, know. That, I mean, it was. Used, I think, as a as the starting point for in Bruges. Uh, yeah, I which can is see again that. about yeah. two hitmen, two hitmen having to go somewhere and wait for instructions, and eventually one of them is told to kill the other. Yeah, um, but there's also a bit of sort of like almost sort of waiting for God. that just that, oh, that yeah, idea of pe- people isolated, and uh, whether they're waiting or whether they're. I don't know, doing something that's sort of understandable, but there's a sort of a wider world. Also the fact that in this in the film, you know, you don't know what the countries are that, that they're talking about. You, you get the bit of backstory that, you know, they're British because of the way they talk about things. You could have, you could have even stripped that out. Although I thought it was quite good that, I, I suppose it actually probably was quite good that they didn't, because you get this hint that there is a, they're, they're strangers wherever they're going from and wherever they're going to. They're not they're not of that place as well. And they're referring to London 
and your sort of brain goes, well, I understand what London is. London is there's a society yeah. there, and there's you know that's part of the real world. This is, they, I mean, they could be anywhere. I mean, it, it um, also it also means quite firmly that wherever they're from, they're not going to be able to get back there on foot. Yes, yes, because I didn't quite understand. Uh, you know, when they were talking, they had to go over the mountains. Or they had to get up into the mountains, and I didn't realize it's like, are they going to go up and over, and then they have to? Well, that's where the border uh, is. Oh yes, yes, but but at the start, I didn't I didn't comprehend oh. that. It's only until you, it's only until they get up into the mountains, and you see that there is actually sort of a territorial boundary, and there's essentially people waiting for them, not necessarily friendly people, but just not of the nation they're running away from. But at the start, when they're talking about they have to leave, I, I, my brain sort of thought, well. Do they have to do the whole, the whole journey? If you like, are they going to have to escape, get somewhere else, get on a ship or something like that, and get back to, let's say, London? But 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 that's the thing that, that so so when they get up into the mountain, and that there's the bit where you're seeing their it's looking back at their faces where they're saying, "Oh, there it is." Yeah. You did. I mean, maybe they had maybe they had said that and I'd already sort of forgotten. I had to watch the film over over sort of two nights, but. I thought that was great because that 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 did sort of lift that little bit at the end where the reveal is they just need to get a little bit further. They don't need to do a mountain section of the journey. If you see yeah, what I mean, they don't, they don't have to, just getting up is enough. Yeah, they don't have to completely traverse the entire range. They just have to get this far, and yeah. then beyond that, they'll they'll have the help they need to get the next bit. You know, it's like. The, the choice between staying where they are and being executed or going to this other country from where they'll be deported back to their home country. Yeah. And again, it brings in that ambiguity, but, you know, who are they? What have they done? Why are they on the run in the first place? Let, let alone how did they escape whatever they were, you know, how, how they were captured or whatever. But are they mercenaries? Are they political prisoners of some sort? Are they just normal prisoners that know that they have to get somewhere where there's not a, an extradition treaty or something like that? The book actually starts with uh, the story of their escape. They've been marched uh, along with a group of other prisoners through a small town and were now out in the countryside. And McConaughey is going to make a break for it and he enlists Ansel simply because Ansel is standing next to him. It, it could, right. It's pure chance that, that he chose him. Um, they jump over a, a ridge down the side of a, a, a low cliff and take a guard with them um, to try and get hold of his gun and his keys. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, they fail to do either of them, and it all gets lost in the, the river they fall into. Right. I, I mean, again, I think uh, you sort of have to have something a bit like that, perhaps, in a book. It's quite hard to just start a book with, you know, and the two men were running, 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 running. Like whereas, whereas in a film... It works as a really, you don't you don't need an explanation of how they actually got to the point where they started running, necessarily. You can just have two people running. You can is a good way to start the film. You only need the image. Yeah, yeah. In the house, they find a few useful resources: a, a huge canteen to fill with water, various uh, cans of food, a shotgun. Um, but McConaughey notices that in this basket of offerings you mentioned that the the corpse has on its chest there's also a loaf of bread and Ansel yeah. has told him specifically not to touch that 
And yes. it's it's not clear whether or not he means out of respect or because he knows what will happen. But McConaughey ignores him, picks up the bread, and the woman immediately starts screaming hysterically. And they have to and they yeah. have to instantly clear out and run out of town as as people start uh, gravitating towards the noise. But again, that's that sort of uh, almost mythological sort of idea. Mm. But it, but it's you know, there's there's rules that have been set. But it sets up that um, McConaughey is not all knowing. He he he's yes. the one who has you know, practical knowledge about surviving in the wild, but Ansel is the one who knows about. Oh no, you can't do that because you can't you can't do this to people because that'll happen. He's the one who knows how to deal with people, and has perhaps the more yes the, the softer skills. Perhaps you could say. Yes, because it. I mean, it starts with Ansel being sort of berated for not knowing about this, that, and the other, and you know what are they teaching you in that in that school of yours and that sort of thing. And so he is in a very like, subservient position. But yes, you're right. He he understands things, or I suppose that he is more constant because McConaughey, uh, you know, is he, at times very dour or very sort of angry and um, uh, sort of swaggering perhaps, but then at other times he's sort of whooping and uh, sort of giddy, you know, so he, he's he's not as constant, he sort of flip-flops, whereas Ansel is sort of, is Ansel throughout, I mean, even though the, 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 there's gradual changes, as, as we've said, but but he, he's more sort of steady, mm. except, the, except the bit where he, he has a sort of big freak out, He's had li- he has little things, but those li- the, the little things are sort of dealt with by being again by being berated about being weak, um, and McConaughey kind of can pull him out of that a little bit. Mm. Whereas Ansel's effect going the other way is less clear because McConaughey seems to do what he wants when he wants. But I think he becomes a bit more softer and introspective. Certainly, there's 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 another long sequence late in the film where they're in the cave in the mountain, where he talks about how he met his wife. Yeah, and yeah, I think that yeah, I think even though Ansel is asleep at that point, it's very much a. It's it's a very reflective moment that you wouldn't have got from their relationship earlier on in the film. Yes, that's true. Yes, yes. Um, they're still trudging the following morning and they decide they're going to split up um, but I think as I mentioned um, McConaughey gets the lion's share of the tin cans but Ansel gets the tin opener and, and uh, McConaughey tries opening a tin with a rock and obviously fails so they form an, an uneasy bond over their shared resources again yeah Later on, um, McConaughey also shaves. Uh, yes, so yes. it's important to stay nice and nice and hygienic. And also, also, he recommends that Ansel shave off all his pubic hair for the rot. Uh, yes, but the the best bit about that is he's already handed the razor to uh, to Ansel, and when he's explaining this, and Ansel's starting to uh, shave his face, and McConaughey. I said, well, I've, al- I've already done it. I've already done mine. Like, yes, exactly. And, and also, <laughs> so there's a, sort of pa- there's a sort of pause, but also the way it's framed, like he's, 
uh, Ansel is in the the background almost, or the sort of the midground of the shot. So there's a sort of he's not out of focus, but there is a you know, you know, there's a couple of seconds pause before he starts sort of uh, doing something at his own face with the with the used razor. It's not it's not unrelentingly bleak, but no. the the funny moments are very few and far between, well, and they're not there is, they're not laugh out loud. There is the diarrhea scenes as well. Well, well, yeah, um, yes. We'll get to that. I mean, it's it's funnier than it sounds. Um, they they also as they talk they they talk about their relationships. Ansel isn't married, whilst McConaughey is married and has daughters. McConaughey thinks that Ansel needs responsibility in his life, but Ansel says, "No, I think everything's everything's changed now since the pill came along." Yeah, I mean that—that's the bit where the, um, the, the play-like bits are quite. I think, uh, you know, it'd be up to your personal taste whether you like that or not. I think that idea of like you know characters that make declarative statements about the world, and you know have someone that makes other or counter statements for the sake of having an A B. A B sort of um, back and forth. Uh, a little of that, I think, goes a long, long way. You've got to, you know, it, it, you've got to sort of handle the dialogue right. I think with that. Mm. I mean, I'm saying this as if you know, as if I can really uh, pass judgment on it. But just while watching, I thought, okay, this is this is the bit where the characters talk about something other than what's actually happening. Their situation. And, um, yeah, there's going to there's going to be statements about the way of the world or the human soul or something something like that. It's, here here it comes. I do find that very. And again, it's not. Yes, yeah. I mean, it's. I mean, uh, again, I'm not saying it's it's not bad, but your your personal mileage may vary mm. uh, with, with things like that. They're straight by the helicopter again, and. Um... Uh, it's noted as being more of a battle of wits between McConaughey and the pilot. I think there's there's a line, anybody can have a war now. And that made me think of the story just being boiled down, like a war boiled down to its its barest essences. Mm. You have um, a man versus an enemy, and he has an ally. Yeah, it's... And and again, it's you don't um, you don't know the ideologies of anybody involved. You don't know the political situation or anything like that. It's just it's the idea that there's equipment on both sides, and that's all you need to sort of have a fight at least, mm. if not a war. But but it's that idea that it is a war. Um, Their relationship develops over the course of the story as well. I think it's it 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 made me think of Castaway, the a Tom Hanks film where he ends up having a volleyball as his best friend because the two of them can't exist in isolation. That's why I think when they, they go their separate ways, that's the thing that was pulling them back together again, that they, they, can't, they can't emotionally and mentally survive on their own. Each of them needs someone yeah. else. Not, necess- not necessarily mm. the other character, but just someone. So they, ha- they have to be together for their own mental survival. Yes, that's true. I mean, um, yeah, An- Ansel would have given up, and McConaughey would have got himself killed. 
he would have got himself killed. Yeah, he would have just he would have just fought. Yeah. Um, they come up with a scheme, however, to take out the helicopter. Ansel's going to climb up on a ridge as a distraction, while McConaughey picks off the pilot. And it almost goes perfectly, except McConaughey shoots the spotter instead. Yes. Um, and he's absolutely ecstatic when they uh, they get to the body. He's got a machine gun. They've got he's got they've got a wristwatch now, so they can tell the time. And Ansel is confused as to why he didn't shoot the pilots as well. I, I, he was holding something. I thought it might have been a bomb. It turns out that it wasn't. But he also says, yeah, and you were also right underneath the helicopter. And if I shoot the pilot, the helicopter might land on you. So, <laughs> Yes. Well, they were going to hit, they were going to shoot the petrol tank behind the. Oh yes, yes, seats. you're right. Um, but yeah, it's it's a bit like um, uh, just in terms of the film, it's sort of satisfying because it's it's like wounding a beast. You know, it's. Um, I think actually it wouldn't have been that exciting if if uh, they they'd blown it up. Because then you'd immediately start thinking, well, why wouldn't they just send another one? Or what are the actual logistics of what's going on? How are they chasing these people? What, Blah, blah, blah. Whereas the helicopter has to survive for a bit longer. Yeah. Or, or quite a lot longer. But but it, it has to it has to be that helicopter. It's, it's, and that pilot that you don't really know anything about. It's, it's wounded and has to withdraw, but the wound is not um, mortal. They, they can, yes, they, and it forces them to change up because then they do drop bombs at one point, or it, it you know the, the the person drops bombs at one point, and they they use the the guns on board or the gun on board. Um, so it so it changes up the, the the scene as well, without because again I think you've got to be you've got to tread carefully if if you you push at it too much, your brain starts to think. Well, what are the logistics of what's actually going on here? And you want to kind of keep it slightly mythic or um, alien or sort of sur- not surreal, surreal. Timeless. Like uh, ti- well, there's a timelessness to it, but 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 just sort of uh, hemmed in by by sort of boundaries that you set up quite quite simply. Right. Um- there's mention that um, none of the tins have labels, none of the food tins have labels. And Ansel talks a bit about, f- firstly, how he knows the difference between them, because he knows, well, they're all different shapes. So this one's meat, and this these ones are fruit, and these ones are something else. And he mentions that he used to work in Fortnum and Mason's. Yes. So that, which is an interesting career trajectory. <laughs> Well, yes, but but again, I think that's really good because you you don't get the answers as to what brought them together. How did they end up in this situation? I I mean, again, it's 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 good because while you're watching it, before they start to drop things like this, and you don't know, are they two? You know, are they two members of the military? Is you know, is is you know, is one the more junior officer and one the one the more senior? Are they are they just you know prisoners? Are they uh, and again, you know, once you start hearing about sort of a life in London, you think, okay, well, are they were they just people in the country that got that got kidnapped? I mean, again, it it doesn't matter. It's the 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 point is not to explain it, but um, hearing those little things 
even though they're sort of, in some sense fleshing out the characters, in reality just opens up more and more of these uh, possibilities of what of what could have been happening, you know, before the first frame essentially. Yeah. He um he talks about how he took the job there so that he could meet girls, and he once took uh, an Australian girl to the Ritz. And, yes. Um, McConaughey is amusingly um, uncomfortable with all this because I wouldn't let you meet my daughters. Yeah. Which. Yeah, it's. I mean. Oh, sorry. And, and it it does contrast with uh, the way Ansel's written in the book. Here he's quite in his own way. He's quite confident. Certainly confident with women. But yeah. in the book, it's made very explicit that he's a virgin. Right. Okay. So I think I think um, that's again it it's about the the shift in their relationship between the passive and the aggressive and here the more balanced transactional tension. Sure, but I, I mean I I do think it's also it, it is more interesting the way it's presented in the film because at the start you think McConaughey's going to be uh, is sort of the, the leading the way in all things, and in some ways, he, in some ways, he is. He's taking charge more, but in terms of his sort of personal life, if you like, he's much more straight laced. Not just straightforward, but sort of a straight laced, maybe even a bit prudish. Mm. Uh, whereas Ansel, and again, it, they're talking about a sort of a life that they're not encountering at the moment. It's sort of it's beyond the current experience, but. He's he's got a di- he's got a different attitude, and and one that is um, as you say, uh, you, you know, answers making him uh, making McConaughey uh, feel uh, somewhat uncomfortable because actually answers the more uh, it's not just his confidence, but he's the more worldly one, I suppose. Mm. Even though he's not married, he doesn't have kids and and things like that. He he. He understands more of that world as it is, or at least as as he's claiming it is nowadays. He he's not, he's not old fashioned. As a uh, a column of troops starts to approach, uh, I think Ansel starts having an attack of diarrhea. Which yes, on the top on the top of the hill on the top of a hill, which yeah. McConaughey finds hilariously funny, until he then also has an attack. Yes. And it's this is lifted directly out of the book where they <laughs> spend several minutes laughing at each other, laughing at themselves and crapping their brains out. Yeah, I mean it's not I mean it's not done graphically and it's not no, 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 um, it's, it's actually pretty short the the, the 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 bit it's not I mean you you know what's happening you you get the idea and then it moves on to the next thing I mean it's not um it's not like a gross out comedy moment. No, not at all. But it's it's a it's just a little bit of levity that, that arises. Yeah. Like, I mean, realistically, they're going to have to go to, go for a crap at some point. Yeah, and there's no way that you could treat that terribly seriously. So they just say, "Well, let's just make it make it a humorous moment, and then go on to the next part." Um, there's another sequence where they they hide in a gully in in all this scrubland. And they manage to stay only yards ahead of soldiers as they're they're being pursued and they make it out into a, a field. A um a cornfield, I think. Yeah. Or something like that, yeah. Um 
again, the, I mean, this this is where I sort of thought, ah, less would be more here, I think. Um, I, I, I didn't really feel any need for them to to directly encounter the soldiers. Do you know what yeah. I mean? I, I, my, my feeling is once the the bit where they're sort of being attacked while going through the cornfield is the bit where it turns. It's, I mean, it doesn't turn into an action film. I wouldn't claim that, but that's the bit where they're subsequent, you know, continue continuing to get away with it seems more and more far fetched. Mm. Because they're so because they're so close to multiple, non mal you know presumably non malnourished uh, you know um, people with you know that are working in teams and can transport themselves around, you know I I, I think, uh, yeah yeah when it becomes, um, yeah more sort of direct action is 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 not as good. I mean, I'm trying to think of a way that you would deal with that, but I, I think, you know, it's, um, I think it was better when you saw them down on the road, just tiny little figures, figures in the landscape, you might say, um, as, you, you know, so there's a column of troops and they realise they have to kind of get past them and things like that. But when but when it falls back on those things, of oh, they're actually just literally like a metre away. I just think, well, I don't know, it's not it's as... too conventional. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's it. It's not bad. It's but it is just yeah. It, it's a bit conventional. I mean, I think actually later on when you see the other troops and they've got the sort of weatherproofs on. Yes. So they they don't even. I mean, they look human, but they it breaks up the silhouette. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think that's one of the things that really uh, dates the appearance of of the soldiers is they're sort of they're just in very 70s kind of looking kind of uniforms which are sort of shirt and just trousers and they've kind of got a gun and a, and a little sort of tin looking hat type of thing it just again if you just had them at a much more of a remove it, it, except for the bit where Ansel has to um, kill one of them quietly in this sort of uh, it's like a power station uh, thing yes. Um I think you could keep that in because then that's that's like a that's a singular instance of directly interacting with the enemy whoever whoever they are. But I think when you've got little kind of gangs and they're sort of you know they're just extras kind of running around. Even the fact that they you know there's there's maybe a couple of noises but they you know uh the you know it's not like the extras speak because they're not speaking roles. And and again, that that serves the dual purpose as you don't really know what language this is because you don't know what the country is, and you know so so you know there's a point to it. But I just think yeah, it it becomes a little bit more conventional and a little less interesting whenever that happens. A way of doing it, but I mean, the, the characters are um, attacked when there are fire bombs dropped on the cornfield in the attempt yeah. to uh, to smoke them out, really, and they manage to escape by crawling along. Um, Water gullies at the bottom of the field. Yeah, um, and that's really and that's really good because you know there is smoke and there's fire and there. Again, you've you've changed the environment, so now they're in this sort of well, they're they're, they're in a field that's on fire, and and then temporarily that blinds the helicopter. You know, by its own actions, it's sort of blinded itself, yeah. and then they they escape. And I don't think you need you don't need the soldiers there, and you, you know they don't need to be directly there. They can just be in the area. 
you know, so they can't go backwards, they have to go forwards. That's that's what you want, that the soldiers are continuing to drive them forward and they have to make a, a route forward that simultaneously avoids the helicopter. But I don't I, I don't need the soldiers to be shooting at so close that they're seeing them and shooting at them and Yeah. You know. I think I think that sequence I mean it's similar to how it is in the book, just have them waking their way through the field and then realizing it's on fire. And then piecing mm. together, ah, oh, yes, they've done this. They've done this deliberately to smoke us out. So it's kind yeah. of everything's at a remove, but there's still, yeah. a, you know, a connection that it's it's obvious strategy by the the soldiers. Yeah, because I think I think once again, it's like once once they've been witnessed, once people have eyes on them, you well, certainly my brain starts to wander and think, well, why? Okay, so now they know where they are. They know the bearing they're on. That sort of thing. You know, and they've got more people, and they've got access to transport. How can they not just uh, work out where they're going to be and, and be waiting for them? Whereas when it's just, you know, if it's just the helicopter and the idea that the, you know, the soldiers are somewhere behind them, behind them, driving them, driving them forward. Mm. You know, once you outwit the helicopter a bit, then they don't know. That, you know, they they wouldn't know your bearings anymore, and they wouldn't know quite what direction you're heading. So, it feels like you've you've got that breathing room. But when you've got the helicopter and you've got the soldiers so close, as I say, it's a, you know potentially it's a minor quibble, but um, they um, they managed to slither out into a river um, where McConaughey puts mud on Ansel's burns, which he says is good for them, and they've also lost one of their guns along the way. Yeah. In the book, uh, they get out of the field by literally jumping through the fire, and. Um, it's it's mentioned that their physical condition is rapidly degrading during the the last third or so of the book. Yeah. Well, they're not looking too good in the film either. Yeah, but towards the end in the book, it's described that they have quite severe facial burns. <laughs> right. Um, at night, they manage to get ashore close to the uh, the installation you described, and Ansel sneaks up and cuts one of the guards' throats with a razor. Um, and they realise that they're in the compound where the helicopter is actually based. Yeah, again, there's a great shot of it in the rain. Um, it's just there in the rain and you sort of see that it is a machine but it still plays on your mind like... Oh, this thing is sleeping. Yeah, and and again, again, that's sort of can can they go and slay it while it's asleep? But the execution, I think, is just a. I mean, it's it's two malnourished people on the run against presumably professional soldiers. Yeah. It just it, you know, the success they have, essentially, in not getting killed very quickly. It's one of those things where well, that, that just sort of has to happen. To keep the story going, because you, you wouldn't want to end it there. But I don't know. I, I think, I think the shot. I mean, I just think the shot of the helicopter itself, just in the rain for a bit, to explain why it's not up and about. Mm. And then, of course, you see the shot. The, the, there's the this sort of little sequence where, you know, the rain has cleared up, so it's powering up and it's back on the hunt again. I think that alone would have been enough, really. Mm. They um, they managed to escape from the. Uh, compound, having done some damage to the helicopter 
Um, McConaughey laughs at the soldier's lack of discipline. Um, and they hide from a passing train that looks oddly like a like a tube train, like a passenger train. Well, it just—I mean, that's—I I mean, in, in one way, I thought that was really very, very cool, very interesting. This sort of intrusion of uh, normality, yeah. in some sense, it's like as a train goes past. Um, but on the other hand, I'm not sure I liked it actually because. Um, again, it's sort of bringing, it's bringing home. It, it just again, my brain starts to wander, and I so, I start to think, well, what what's actually going on in this world that they've set mm. up? But the sh- I mean, although the shot itself of the train coming out of the darkness and then disappearing into it, and then it sort of fades into the kind of the, the misty scene, mm. is is pretty nice. You know, it's pretty good. Um, well, the film had three directors of photography. Um, one of whom was Peter Sushitsky, who went on to uh, quite a impressive career. Um, the Rocky Horror Picture Show, The Empire Strikes Back, um, a, okay. film, a film covered by um, the podcast earlier this year, Mars Attacks, and um, was David Cronen oh, and was David Cronenberg's regular director of photography for some years. I mean, I mean, it looks great. There's the and there was one terrible cut in one of the scenes. Um, maybe it's where they joined the reels originally, but uh, but um, like it looks good, and the and I mean the landscape photography is great. I think you know watching it on a big screen would be would be kind of interesting. Um, the editor was Peter yeah. Cushing's brother-in-law. <laughs> okay, that's a good that's a good little. Um, Six Degrees of Separation type of thing. And uh, the music for the film is by Richard Rudley Bennett, who was later knighted. Wow. So it's, it's all sort of like offshoots of people. This is like, and oh, and this person also did this. But it's all the all these famous, yes. people, all yeah. these famous people for whom this is, oh, and they also did this. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it it's, I think it is a good film. I, I, I think, um, I, I never heard of it. I didn't know anything at all about it when you suggested it, um, but I thought it was good. Um, yeah, I mean, so, some things I guess don't break through in quite the way that you think they might. No, I think it, even at the time the film would have been far too hard a sell. It's too it's too strange for a general audience. Yes, it. Uh, yes, it, yeah. It's it's the kind of thing that is difficult, I guess, to market, like. It's quite hard to to think well, <laughs> or it's quite hard to sell us on the idea of you'll enjoy it once you get there, but yes. you know you have to buy the ticket first, and then you'll then it's fine. Um, that, that's quite difficult. They trudge up the mountain in the rain, and as uh, Ansel is in despair of ever sleeping again, and they finally find a little rock hollow to climb into, and in the book this is the end game of the story. Um, they find this tiny little rock hollow that they squeeze into and they stay there for days as they wait for the rain to stop. And they right. realise that they they can't make it any further. They've, they're have they pretty much out of food. They have very little water left. They're injured, burned, exhausted. And as the soldiers approach, they mount a, a last stand. But um, McConaughey decides to... Uh, 
die by his own choosing and shoots himself in the, with the rifle as An- right. Ansel is killed by the soldiers and the, we see from his point of view he falls from the side of the mountain and dies before he hits the ground. So it's quite a hmm. it's quite a grim ending. Yes, I bet, and it also and it um, also feels oddly sort of without resolution. I mean, what how how is the the nature of the story being resolved through this particular choice? In a way that I don't think the film does. The film actually sort of thinks through how is how would this resolve in a way that's dramatically satisfying. Yes, I think I think um, you know if it's relentless misery followed by death, then you do sort of think, well, what's what's the point of sort of enduring that? As I in this case read along, like what does it, what does it show you about something? And it, it, I'm not suggesting things have to have a happy ending, and the film doesn't have exactly a happy ending, but I think um, uh, I, I, w- I would say in that sense that I I, I think the film ending is better I agree yeah. um, again because because it suggests that they are again they don't succeed in it like you know it's you know they don't save the world or anything like that it's not it's not an ending like that it's just the idea that they um, they push through to something else yeah you know um, or at least Ansel does but but you know and again it doesn't you know it, it doesn't tie it up with a nice neat bow and explain, oh well, they, he went back to London or whatever. No, it, and you know, and and in fact, and in fact, he's moved into another world that you don't know anything about really, apart from that, the power behind it is opposed to the power behind the one that they just left behind. So it's all you you could almost do it where, and so got uh, imprisoned again, and took on the McConaughey role. After escaping a second time, and now they have to, you know, it's 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 almost like a maybe a computer game type of thing. Uh, that they're just not, it's just the next level, mm. you know. But I think I think that is better than, and then they, you know, they, and then they died. Because because in, in fact that that idea of sort of going out on your own terms and you know shooting yourself, there hasn't been much of a, in in the film at least. They don't really stand for anything. They're, they're, the whole thing is about them being driven to to escape and to get to the place they're going to. And so even though they reveal things about themselves and even though they discuss things and sort of, um, I guess, talk about their mindset and you get an idea of the mindset as a viewer as the, you mm. know, based on their behaviour, the, there's no overwhelming philosophy well, I think in in McConaughey's case, he's seen the the whole journey as being a battle of wits between himself and the helicopter. So, yeah. at the end, refusing to allow himself to be captured and taking his own life in his mind, I think he's he's won. He's denied he's denied yeah. his enemy victory, therefore he has won. Yes, but. I mean, in a book, you can get that across because you have you have sort of time to play with it. I suppose, but it it, it doesn't it doesn't go into the sort of the level of psychological detail. There's very we almost never see the insides of the characters' minds in the book. Right. 
and I'm having to kind of adapt the way the characters are portrayed in the film and graft that onto the plot of the book in order to actually resolve the whole thing. Because, because right. and I'll make, the, I'll make this clear now, in case I hadn't made, uh, made it clear earlier, I really didn't like the book. <laughs> it was, right, it was okay. a real bloody slog to read. <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, as I say, I, 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 just from your description, I, I, I would be... I, I think I would like the, the film a lot better. And again, not, be, not because I'm super into happy endings, which there isn't one, but I just I, I like that transition of it, you go from one unknown into just another unknown. You think it might be a better unknown, but, but you don't actually know because you don't know what happens next. It's, it's um, consistent in, in terms of the way it's handled, the environment and the situation all the way through, in a way that I don't think the book is. Hmm. And and in fact, the, the the country that they cross into the the territory of, the guards are quite alien like the way they're sort of presented. Even just with the the sort of the goggles and things mm. like that, they don't, um, they don't speak or anything like that. No, they uh, they don't. They don't really interact until Ansel puts the gun down. In which case, they they sort of slightly relax the guard a bit. But again, you you could imagine a situation where. Ansel is simply imprisoned in a different place and has to escape from a different place, and it's a kind of weird purgatory of. Yes, I was going to say, like, like, like know, being trapped in this endless cycle of of limbo. Um, yeah, it's yeah. Again, it's a sort of kind of strangely mythic, like Sisyphus. Uh, I guess so. Yeah, um, although it's drawn out and with lots of different bits to it, but yeah, yeah. Um, and again, even you know McConaughey turning against the helicopter for a sort of last attack, which is sort of, again is kind of pointless. And um, but again, it's it's it, it's a bit like, um, and you again you can go overboard on this sort of thing. It's a bit like fate. Like even though the sensible thing to do would be simply to cross the boundary and get on with the rest of your life, or sort of move on to the next thing. In terms of the film, there's got to be somebody that decides. In terms of the narrative, there's got to be someone that decides. No, I'm going to attack. Mm. It wouldn't have been. Well, again, people might have different ideas, but I don't think it would have been quite so satisfying if they simply if they um, if, if, if they just if went, they, they just went away the and yeah the the helicopter just sort of hovered for a moment and then flew away. That wouldn't. Well, that I, wouldn't, yeah, I think that I think, that, I think it would be too much of an anticlimax because it's then oh they're trying to get to the border and then they do. Uh, what you're saying happens in the book is sort of a bit like, well they're under constant threat of death and then they die, you know. So I I think I think the film ending is 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 the is actually the sweet spot. Yes. That you can imagine a future for for at least one of the characters, but another character has to resolve in some sense. And, Death is a pretty good resolution for things. The situation that they're mm. in currently, he can't he can't bring himself to end the war between himself and the helicopter by simply leaving the battlefield. Yes, he, ha- he yes. has to. Ha- he, in his mind, he has to have one of the two as a victor. Yes, and it's it's also sort of shot in a strange kind of way. It's not, you know, you don't sort of see the big swoops and sort of 
they're firing the machine gun. It's sort of it's it's kind of quiet passes if that makes sense. Yeah. It sort of it kind of cuts between the helicopter and McConaughey, and sort of he's he's hit several times. You think, or maybe just once or twice, but it kind of goes back to him and he's in a slightly worse state. And then there's a sort of again a kind of flip flopping, and each time it flips back to McConaughey, he's in worse and worse state, kind of near near death. And then he dies. Again, it's just it's just interesting, but it's a uh, it's a slightly odd thing. They they don't have a big clash at the end. No. They have a sort of they have kind of intercutting uh, between the two, and and one of them sort of uh, you see snapshots of him of him losing. It's in, it's interesting. Yeah. It's an interesting um, choice, I think. Well, I mean. Th- We've talked about the ending quite a bit, but we just sort of go back that yeah, they were in the cave and then they go up the mountain, they pass the snow line and then they get to the border. So just to Sure, sure. Just to jo- just to join that bit. Um but yes, uh, McConaughey collapses in slow motion and, and the helicopter buzzes his body as well. Mm-hmm. Um McConaughey who's um Ansel, who's already crossed the, the boundary line, turns back and looks at him. Um, and then, in a, the film's very long final shot, walks back across the border, uh, and is escorted back into the uh, the blockhouse at the top of the mountain. It's a, it's, I mean, it's a great helicopter shot. Yeah, it's, it's I mean, I, I, a helicopter sh- shot rather than a shot of the helicopter, but yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's a great landscape. Uh, take. Yeah. You do you? I mean, well, I, I certainly sort of sat and watched it, and you sort, and I was kind of looking at how how the soldiers, who are just you know they're going to be extras, how do they interact with him? They don't touch him. No, it's, uh, it, as far as it's, I can, it's an escort. It's they don't feel like they're yeah. um, they're not friendly in that sense. No, but they're not. But, but they're, they're not, not foes either. Again, no, no, no. But that's that's the thing. Again, it's it's like he's just being ushered into the next level, and whatever that might. Um, entail yeah. uh, for him. You're, you're, you're not sure. Put, it's just they're going to put him. They leave one thing behind. They're going to put him in the guard room, and then phone their headquarters and fu- to figure out who he is and what to do with him. Oh yeah, I mean in reality, yes. But you... because they don't, they don't know, they don't know who he is. He could, he could, as 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 you said, he could be, you know, an escaped criminal. He could be a murderer, but he could also be yeah. a political refugee. Yes, yeah. But it's also, you know, it's, uh, you know, because literally the, the scenery changes again, it's, it's sort of moving into a different mm. world. They move from the, you know, there's, there's, there's been sort of um, uh, fields and, and uh, you know, tree lines and all sorts of things like that. And then it moves into this kind of, well, eventually it becomes rockier and rockier and then you get to the snow line. So again, that moving into just whatever it entails mm. will be something different. And then the the shot ends with the camera just panning up and looking at the mountain peaks, and then there's a very abrupt cut to black, and then the credits roll at the end. Yeah, well, because you don't you, you don't need any more. No, it's and it's a very short credit roll as well. It, it seemed because there are, there are no because uh, there are no credits at the start at all, apart from the names of the actors and the title. Hmm. I didn't stay through the credits, so I've got to admit. Two minutes. It's very short. 
Um, I I really liked it. I thought it was a really engaging story. I think it was. Uh, it's it, it's a story you can read multiple ways. I think uh, in allegorical terms. I think, you can, as mm. said, you know there are mythical readings you can have. There are religious readings you can you can put onto it. It owes, I think, a lot to. I, I mean, you were saying that a lot of it felt theatrical. It is. I think it does grow out of Harold Pinter. So right. it's although it's on a scale that you can't do in theatre, the character interactions I think are very uh, they're they're the base of the film and they're the, the foundation of around which everything is constructed. And yeah. that I think it yeah. comes from a theatrical background. Um I think it's a really interesting, unusual little film and I I think it's a shame that it's as obscure as it is. Yeah, as I say, I hadn't heard of it at all, um, but I would agree. I think it's—I mean—it's worth seeing. It doesn't—it um, it doesn't feel uh, dated badly. It—it uh, it doesn't really matter that it's old, I suppose. Um, I mean, you know, film techniques are different, and you know, I mean, you could re- remake it and do it in beautiful four K and all that sort of stuff. Although I suppose if you had film prints, you could. Uh, get yourself a, a 4K version yeah. uh, easily enough. But um, yeah, I think it's... I definitely would recommend it. I think it's... But but the question is, who you, who would you recommend it to? Or what under what circumstances would you think? Or you should... Uh, or it's, you know, it's not like, oh, it's uh, it's Boxing Day. <laughs> um, you know, you, you've, you've eaten too much and you're relaxing in front of the TV at four o'clock in the afternoon. Should we watch this film? No, watch one of the old James yeah, Bonds. That, what, that'll be more yeah, fun yeah, for you. Yeah, watch a to a kill, obviously. Well, yeah, okay, but that, but that's the thing. No, but you're right, right? So, um, well, so when would you want to watch this, or when, if if you were telling someone else, would you say, oh, you know, when you feel blah blah blah, you should really watch this film. <laughs> that that'll really help you out, well, I w- or cheer you up, or entertain you. I don't. I know. would say, you know. Um, if you like sort of films that are sort of interesting and unusual, but not not really weird and avant garde, but something a bit a bit different, a bit you know uh, out of the ordinary rather than strange, uh, and you're prepared to uh, give your time and patience to something that's maybe a bit out of your wheelhouse, then this is I think mm. one to watch. Given that the director of photography later worked on the Rocky Horror Show, I can only quote, um, I think, the one of the finest review lines ever written, which was about that, which is that people who like this sort of thing will find this the sort of thing that they like. Thanks to Ed for making time for this recording. His podcast, And What Do You Do?, examines the background of people in different careers and walks of life, It's available on Apple Podcasts and at www.andwhatdoyoudo.co.uk. Cinema Limbo is now on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Acast, with over 80 episodes available, so please download, review and subscribe. We're also on YouTube, on Twitter at cinema underscore limbo, and Podnose is also on Patreon, so please pop a penny in the box to help us with our running costs. However, until next time, don't touch the bread. I
listening to Cinema Limbo, hosted and produced by Jeremy Phillips, with editing and music by Philip Alderman. Cinema Limbo is part of the Podnose Podcasting Network, so please visit us at www.podnose.com. Mm-hmm.